Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And what a week it's been. MPs in Westminster voted to extend abortion rights and same-sex marriage to the people of Northern Ireland. We're going to be talking about that and also about some misplaced conceptions of the Protestant community in the North later on. It is the 12th of July this weekend, very contentious time. But it's also a time of cautious celebration for anyone who believes gay people should have a right to marry and that anyone should be able to decide when to become parents. And let's hope that this news brings about real change for Northern in Ireland. Uh, we've also seen this week Megan Rapinoe of the US football team emerge as even more of a feminist icon than she already was. What a badass woman she is, refusing to go to the White House or have anything to do with the misogynist in chief, Donald Trump. And here's a little clip of her addressing US soccer fans when the team returned victorious from the Women's World Cup in France. We have to be better. We have to love more, hate less. We got to listen more and talk less. We got to know that this is everybody's responsibility. Every single person here, every single person who's not here, every single person who doesn't want to be here, every single person who agrees and doesn't agree. It's our responsibility to make this world a better place. We have pink hair and purple hair. We have tattoos and dreadlocks. We got white girls and black girls and everything in between. Straight girls and gay girls, hey, do what you can. Do what you have to do. Step outside yourself. Be more, be better, be bigger than you've ever been before. What a woman, Megan Rapinoe. I love her hair and I love everything about her. She's great. We also saw this week women Gardaí commemorating 60 years of female Gardaí. They used to be known as Ban Gardaí, you might remember. Uh, the force was opened up to women in the late 1950s and a gathering celebrating that uh, happened in Farmley House in Dublin's Phoenix Park on Wednesday. And at that meeting, we heard something that I think, even though it's so depressing, it's great to remind ourselves of. We heard that at the time in the late 50s, one TD recommended that the commanding personalities of women from the west and northwest of the country would be best suited to the force. And another TD suggested that while female recruits should not be, and I'm quoting here, horse-faced, they should not be too good-looking either. They should just be plain women and not targets for marriage. So that was relayed to a mix of shock and laughter to the largely female crowd in Farmley. And that was the late 1950s when 12 women joined the force. They were chosen from 178 women who had replied to adverts in the media requesting applications from women. So there you go. We've moved on quite a bit from there. Now, later on, we're going to be talking to Anne O'Leary of Vodafone Ireland and to domestic abuse survivor and activist Emma Murphy about a new app called Bright Sky Ireland that's really helping to support women 
and men who are in abusive relationships of all kinds. But first, uh, you all know, and we were all part of it here on the Women's Podcast, that we repealed the 8th last year um, and abortion rights have been legal in this country since the beginning of the year. And almost immediately after we repealed the 8th, the cry went up that the North is next because it's not just in the Republic of Ireland, of course, where reproductive rights have been an issue. And the struggle has continued in Northern Ireland where abortion is only available in very limited circumstances. But the news this week that MPs voted in such huge numbers to extend abortion rights to Northern Ireland and same-sex marriage uh, was greeted with celebration. So we got Danielle Roberts of Alliance for Choice, who was also a policy officer with Here NI, an LGBT group. She came on the phone from Belfast to talk to me about what it means for Northern Ireland and also to talk about some of the misperceptions we have about the Protestant community there. And she also introduced the concept of hashtag equality prods. And we had a good chat about how Northern Ireland may just be on the cusp of some historic and progressive social change, which is going to positively impact the lives of so many people. Danielle, tell us what happened this week. It really was momentous and a great cause for celebration. It has been quite a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a lot of amendments made to the um, Executive Formation Bill at Westminster, which is a bill aimed at keeping um, sort of Northern Ireland ticking over while Stormont is not functioning. So we haven't had a local default assembly for two and a half years now, and there doesn't seem much prospect of it getting back up and running anytime soon. So this bill um, was designed to extend the the period before the um, Secretary of State would have to call a local election. Um, But it also was really useful for amendments we put in on different issues. So two of the main ones that I was looking at um, was NC1, which was on equal marriage, and NC10, which was on bringing um, Northern Ireland abortion law in line with with human rights standards. So uh, at the minute in Northern Ireland, Abortion is only available in very limited circumstances if there's a, a permanent or long-term risk to life or health. So only 13 um, abortions were carried out last year in Northern Ireland legally. And uh, meanwhile, a 1,000 women travelled to uh, England for funded abortion care. And unknown others took uh, stupid illegal abortion pills, which means they're risking up to life in prison. Um, so there are safe pills available online at Women on Web and Women Help Women, which are exactly the same as those that are prescribed in England. But uh, And they're used in our own hospitals for miscarriage management as well. But if you use them to um, procure your own abortion, is the, the, the terminology used, then it's classed as a criminal offence. So uh, we know that people who can get pregnant can't all travel, um, whether that's due to precarious work um, childcare requirements or uh, domestic violence situations. So travelling isn't an option for many, and we know that they're they're breaking the law um, or being forced to continue with an unwanted pregnancy. So this amendment aimed to, uh, to bring Northern Ireland in line with the CEDAW recommendations. Okay. which called for the decriminalisation of abortion. Yeah, I mean, tell us the numbers, because it was quite, I mean, I, I was on Twitter and lots of people were um, celebrating. It was quite unanimous. So there wasn't everybody. There were some MPs who voted against it. But what were the figures? How did they break down? Uh, I think it was 333-4 and 73 against. 
Um, there was quite a big number of abstentions as well, Theresa May. Including Boris Johnson. Yeah, and uh, Secretary of State Karen Bradley abstained. So um, there was a, a massive majority, and that's because it was treated as a matter of conscience. So there was a free vote, which is why we had so many members of the Tory party voting with us okay. um, as well. And um, the SNP also voted for the amendment, which was both amendments, which was brilliant because normally they don't get involved in, because they, they have an issue around it being a devolved matter. Of course, our argument is it isn't a devolved matter completely because international human rights obligations sit at Westminster. Yeah. And um, the UN has repeatedly, through CEDAW, um, through um, the Convention the Committee and the Convention Against Torture, um, they've been told time and time again to, to act to reform abortion law in particular. And um, those obligations sit at Westminster. And the CEDAW committee said devolution is no barrier to action. So... Um, it's really great that these discussions with the SNP have progressed to the point where they are on the same page as us. And listen, what does it mean? Because I think I think some people are confused. We were sort of, sort of celebrating that hopefully, you know, this this catchphrase that came after after repeal that we repealed the eighth, the North is next, abortion rights now for our for Northern Ireland. You know, we've been looking at that as maybe something that would be a long way in the distance, or in the, you know, certainly not as soon as it may be happening. But is it really a victory? What do we have to see happen now? in order for same-sex marriage and abortion to be fully legalised in Northern Ireland? So this has put an obligation on Westminster to pass secondary legislation on equal marriage and abortion rights, provided Stormont doesn't return by the 21st of October. So well, How likely um, is that? So we want the doors of uh, anyone who wants abortion <laughs> and same-sex marriage in Northern Ireland who thinks that's a good thing, which I think, well, here on the podcast, we certainly believe that anyway, that we need the doors of Stormont to stay closed, I suppose. Is that likely? Well, obviously nothing is for certain, yeah. but um, they haven't been able to sort things out for two and a half years. So <laughs> they've only got another, what, 14 weeks, 15 yeah. weeks to get things sorted. I'm sure they'll all be on their holidays, won't they? It's summertime. Let, so, um, <laughs> but, but seriously, um, yeah, there is a chance that Stormont could come back, in which case then we'll have to bring legislation to Stormont. Um, equal marriage is very likely that it would pass in Stormont um, because it did pass the last time it was brought by the numbers. So um, a majority of MLAs voted in support of marriage equality, but then a position of concern was used to block any change. Mm. So um, it's very likely that equal marriage would pass um, because now the DEP, their numbers fall short of that required for a petition of concern. Okay. But um, abortion is not as clear cut. Uh, we do know that there are parties right across the spectrum, the Green Party and People for Profit support decriminalisation. Sinn Féin have a policy where they want the law to be the same as what it is in the South. Um, and then the other parties, Alliance and UUP, have a conscience vote and DEP and TEV oppose any change at all. So it would depend on how the parties with the conscience vote voted. Um, I think we would definitely see limited reform, but I'm not sure if we would get um, full decriminalisation yeah. at, at, at Stormont. But let's look um, at the scenario where uh, where they don't, they don't get their act together, they're all in their holliers, and actually it doesn't happen. What happens then? I mean, the MPs have said if they, if they don't 
you know, open stormant by the time, by this date, then this is what's going to happen. Will it happen just overnight? What, what way does it work? Well, I don't think it will be overnight, but there's an obligation on Westminster to pass legislation. Right. And um, Number 10 have commented saying that they will comply with that if Stormont doesn't come back. So, um, so there will be a process then where legislation is passed um, for Northern Ireland in particular in relation to abortion law. So what CEDA have recommended is decriminalisation. Um, decriminalisation doesn't mean deregulation. So there would also need to be a regulatory framework um, put in place. There already is a regulatory framework for those dozen or so legal abortions that do happen here. So um, it wouldn't be, you know, a, abortions for any reason for anybody at any time. Um, there would still be regulations um, like we already do have and like they have in in every country where abortion is regulated as a healthcare matter and not a criminal justice one. So we'd, we are already, Alliance Choice are already talking to um, medical professionals. Doctors for Choice Northern Ireland has just launched in the past month. So make sure you check them out on social yeah. media too. Um, so there, there are people working on the practicalities of uh, how abortion access would actually be achieved in Northern Ireland. But ultimately, it would be decriminalisation. Unfortunately, it's only decriminalisation for Northern Ireland. They have said the scope of the legislation would be limited just to Northern Ireland. So currently in England and Wales, any abortions that happen that don't comply with the 1967 Act requirements, so two doctors have to sign it off, you have mm. to meet a certain criteria, it has to happen in a, a licensed place, um, which now includes home use for pills. But um, anybody who has an abortion outside of those um, criteria is also risk in life in prison. So we need decriminalisation across the UK. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, in, the, in that case, Northern Ireland would actually suddenly go to being ahead instead of so far behind. It's it's an incredible uh, positive vista that we're looking at, hopefully. Yeah, it, it could mean that, yeah, we get decriminalisation. There are other other measures in place as well. There's the, the Infant Life Preservation Act, so abortion would still be limited to a 24-week term limit. Um, it was suggested during the debate that um, gender selection abortion would be allowed and abortion up to the point of birth and ridiculous things like that, which no medical organisation is going to sign up to anyway. And there are already legal protections for those issues. So um, there is this sort of scaremongering around decriminalisation, but um, there is scaremongering happening around decriminalisation, but... Canada has decriminalised abortion. It's regulated as a healthcare matter. Abortion rates are no different than yeah. they are uh, elsewhere. So um, decriminalisation doesn't mean deregulation. It means instead of criminal justice managing abortion access, it's healthcare. Okay. Can I just ask you finally then, it's interesting looking at the DUP. Is there a sense from what you guys talking to each other that, that in a way this is, uh, it means the matter has been taken out of their hands, that they don't, they can say to their supporters, well, look, it was nothing to do with us. London did this. Is is that something that will help them navigate this with, with some of their followers who would be very anti-abortion, very anti-same-sex marriage? Well, we know that the DEP is actually out of step with its own voters on this issue. Um, Northern Ireland politics are very complicated. Um, so people tend to vote along ethno-national lines as their priority issue rather than on issues that are uh, around social justice um, or 
economic issues. So um, surveys have shown that the UP voters actually support change. The Northern Ireland Life and Time survey has shown that members of the Protestant community, which is aligned with the unionist community, um, are more supportive of change than members of the Catholic community. But, but both um, both sections of the community uh, overwhelmingly support reform. There's you know, 70% of people want change. So while the DUP have in their manifesto and have their party position, it actually isn't in line with, with their voters. Um, but in Northern Ireland, we're in a place where people aren't necessarily voting on policy positions, but uh, on the union. Yeah, I mean, you're a policy officer with here and I, uh, an LGBT um, support group. And uh, you, are you thinking of Lyra McKee this week? Because I think a lot of people have been, obviously, same-sex marriage would have been a dream of hers and of so many people in the North. And she's not around, as her partner said, to, to see this. It's a very poignant time as well, from that point of view. Yeah, completely. Um, I knew Lyra on a personal level. And um, yeah, she's greatly missed and she was such a proponent of of marriage equality and she was planning to propose um the week after or you know she had plans in place to propose um when she was killed so um her and sarah would have been would have been getting married um also sarah is very active with a Lancer choice dairy and is a, a strong voice for abortion law reform so both of them um you know, are are very visible, and it's it's so sad that Lyra isn't here to see this change. Um, because any march or rally calling for this, she would have been there. Um, she used her platform as a journalist also to highlight the the homophobia in society here and the impact that that had on people, and continues to have on people. Um, so yeah, it's it is really sad, and I think Sarah herself that it was um, you know, bittersweet yeah. news. Can I just ask you, uh, on a more general sense, I mean, the 12th is happening there at the moment and still very contentious and, you know, huge bonfires up there that like in Portadown and in Belfast and the police getting involved and everything. The same old, same old stuff that we're used to seeing. But do you think, Danielle, that there is a new sense in Northern Ireland? Because it certainly feels a bit like that, that a new generation coming up, that the the um, the ways that people were kind of um, segregated are, is changing. People are coming together more, that there is a bit of hope on, on some level in Northern Ireland at the moment. So I'm a feminist activist. I'm a LGBT rights activist. And the women's sector and the LGBT sector are massively cross-community and mm. always have been. Um, you know, we're focusing on on human rights issues and social justice issues. So for me, they're more important. Um, I am a unionist, uh, but I also support these these social justice changes. And um, we had a hashtag during the week um, because Gavin Robinson the DPMP for uh, East Belfast had said these are partisan issues that have been cherry-picked that are basically Sinn Féin issues, mm. and they're not. Um, so we had a, a short video clip, and a few of us added our own to it as well, um, the hashtag equality prods, because mm-hmm. it's a complete misconception that um, that because you're from a Protestant unionist or loyalist background, you don't support um, social justice issues and you don't support change. Mm. We know that people do because things like the Life and Time survey that I mentioned 
demonstrate that. And so it's important that that voice is heard, that um, there are, you know, you can be PEL and socialist, you can be PEL and a feminist, you can be PEL and advocate for LGBT rights. There's, um, you know, it's not a contradiction and they're not nationalist issues. I uh, have to say all the uh, prods in my life are for um, abortion and same-sex marriage. So I think hashtag equality prods, which I was feeling a bit funny about using, I have to say. I wondered, would people (laughs) find it offensive? Like, do people find the word prod offensive is what I was thinking. But if you don't, if you're telling me it's okay, (laughs) I'm going to hashtag equality prods all over the place. Um, But I think you're right. It's a misconception. It's this idea that we have that in Northern Ireland, all Protestants are, you know, conservative or aligned with the DUP. And like you said earlier, so well, the DUP are completely out of step, all this research shows, with their voters. And so we shouldn't look at the likes of Jeffrey Donaldson and, and um, all those people and think that that's what's representative. And that's what I mean about a new sense of hope and maybe a new Northern Ireland around the corner. Um, and it sounds like you sort of share that. If we look at the student movement, which is mostly young people, um, you know, it's been leading the way for decades on working across community, on um, taking policy positions that focus on human rights rather than um, rather than the constitutional issue and also having really difficult debates on things like integrated education. Mm. And it's, you know, a lot of those people now are, you know, grown-ups and um, having conversations and in positions where they're able to shape change. I don't think it's just, it's not just young people, um, but I think people are more open about their views. So there has been a, a change where it's, you know, it's okay to be an equality fraud. <laughs> and you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get your, your window smashed. Yeah. Um, that is a bit tongue in cheek. Um, but, but yeah, there, I think it's maybe more people are more vocal. And, yeah. um, and we've seen some changes in even voting patterns at, at local council levels. You know, Belfast City Council now has, has a new cohort of, of green councillors and people for profit councillors um that weren't that weren't there last time round. So um it might filter through to to voting patterns and to policy making. Mm. But um yeah, I think we are we are gonna get change and these amendments you know, we might get changed in October. Yay! <laughs> and we should do a shout out to Stella Creasy and Conor McGinn and people like that who've been so active and such supporters and allies, haven't they, in, in, in London. Um, yeah, in- Conor's originally from Armagh. Yeah. So he, he knows what it's like to grow up here. And um, he he has brought, this is the second time he's brought um, something before the Commons. And then Stella um, got involved with the, the abortion rights struggle here through um, one of our constituents, he's a member of London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign, yeah. got in touch with her uh, maybe three years ago. That's right, and, yeah. Um, and she's really been, like, with the amendment to the Queen's Speech, which mm. helped us, which, which led to us getting the funding for people who travel, because yeah. before that, even though we're entitled to NHS care here, we have to pay privately for abortions in England. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's been, there's been lots of changes, and um, Connor is, in constant contact with Love Equality, the coalition that's campaigning for for civil marriage equality, which here and I is part of, and Stella's on all the time with with the Lands for Choice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's real mm. there seems to be a bit of an idea that people are reluctant. People in England were reluctant to have Westminster sort of interfere, but if you're listening 
to us, to the activists here. We're asking Westminster to do it because it's their job. Yeah. It's They are the ones that have the responsibility to uphold our human rights Absolutely. in line with international human rights obligations. So, um, so hopefully that can assuage people's concerns that, oh, this is Westminster stepping in with a shouldn't because the 1861 Act came from Westminster and they've got the power to change it and the duty to change it. Yeah. So their own Supreme Court judges are telling them to do it. Their own um, MPs now are telling them to do it. So it's... And we, there as their constituents, are telling them to do it. So hopefully we will see change. Yeah. And yeah, they are working very closely with people in Northern Ireland. It isn't a sort of riding in on a white horse <laughs> kind of thing, which is also, you know, Right in the white horse is very symbolic talking to you this. Uh, yes, I was just going to say it's a fitting end. I was going to say happy 12th yeah. of July. I don't know if that's a thing you can say either. Can I say that to you, Danielle? I'm not sure, but yeah, happy bank holiday weekend anyway. <laughs> well, happy bank holiday weekend. And for all the contentiousness that's going on, there are also elements of that uh, cultural celebration that, that are just, um, you know, that are peaceful, you know, that not all of it is like that. And um, I hope that, it, uh, that the troubles that are being sort of predicted don't come to pass. And I wish you a very restful and a, a weekend which you can celebrate because I have to say Alliance for Choice and all the activists in Northern Ireland have been so incredible in p- bringing this... Um, to where we are now and hopefully on the cusp of something so historic and so groundbreaking and so life-changing for women and girls in Northern Ireland and I really can't wish you any more than all the best and and congratulations for everything you've done so far and everything you will be doing in the next while. Thank you for everything that you've done. Um, you, were one of the, you were one of the first visible people to, to tell their story and like the, the contribution that you've made to repeal and to the conversation around abortion rights has been immeasurable as well. So, you know, it's a it's a pro-choice loving, I guess. Oh, well, I think so. I love a bit of a pro-choice loving <laughs> here on the Women's Podcast. Danielle, thank you very much for taking the time. Have a, have a great weekend and well done again. Thanks very much. That was Danielle Roberts there and thank you very much to her and also congratulations to all the activists across Northern Ireland who for decades have been banging the drum on this issue. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Now, you may have heard of the Bright Sky Ireland app, which launched recently. It's an app that connects victims of domestic violence and abuse to advice and support services across the country. Well, Anne O'Leary of Vodafone Ireland, who brought the app to this country and domestic violence campaigner and survivor Emma Murphy came into the Women's Podcast to talk about the difference the app is making and why it was introduced. Anne O'Leary, Vodafone Ireland have done quite a bit of research on this and talked to your staff. Uh, It's a big issue for you. Why are you involved? Well, I suppose we're very aware that one in five women are affected by domestic abuse or domestic violence in Ireland. It's become a real issue or an issue that's always been there but not talked about. Also, we did commission research which clearly said that uh, over 30% of workers in Ireland did experience uh, either domestic control or domestic violence. And uh, the Vodafone Foundation was set up in 2003. We invest over nine million in charitable causes since then. We already work very closely with Women's Aid and Angarda Síochána on domestic violence and women issues. 
And as CEO of Vodafone, I really want to use our company, um, uh, you know, to provide a safe place for our employees and to make sure that we can use technology for good and that we support the most vulnerable in society. So if this is an issue amongst the Irish workforce and it is an issue in society, especially for women, the one in five women, it must be affecting women in Vodafone as well. And I think as a large company, we have a duty of care to our employees to provide a safe environment for them, an environment where they can bring their whole selves to work and they can get the support they need. I'm also hoping by launching it that other companies will follow and provide policies and support to employees uh, like this. One of the statistics you found was that 57%, I think, or over 50% felt safer at work than at home, which is really interesting uh, that work can be that kind of haven when you're going through something like that. But tell me about the app then, because it was rolled out in in Britain first uh, and it's been downloaded tens of thousands of times. So it's something that you saw working. Um, I'm going to ask Emma a little bit more about how it actually works, but you saw that it was working there and decided to bring it in to Ireland with the support of the Garda Commission which we should say as well. Exactly. So as I said, we all we already work with Women's Aid and Garda Shikona and have a close relationship with them. And we saw that in the UK when they launched this app, 20,000 downloads were done of it. Uh, so Hestia is a UK charity. So between the three of us, we said we would launch the app here in Ireland. And... Um, because it's a society issue and because it's about using technology for good. And we wanted a place where victims of domestic violence or abuse could go for themselves or for people that are are friends and families with somebody. So, you know, it's got a host of information, questions, answers, information. There's a journaling and, and tooling a place where you can keep a record of issues. But, um, you know, coercive control, we're hearing a lot about, you know, is this a healthy relationship? Uh, So there's a range of questions that you can ask and information. It also guides you to your local services and support service. So there was never one place for people to go. And, um, you know, we I think a few weeks ago, I think it was the second most downloaded app in Ireland. Well, that's great. So we're seeing a huge interest in it. Uh, we're reading and hearing more about it as an issue. We're hearing from the workflows, workforce in Ireland. So we're delighted to support that and to support the most vulnerable and to support victims of domestic abuse and violence. Um, well, thank you very much for that, Anna. And Emma, I'm so glad you came in because you have lived experience of this issue, which we came to hear about. Um, you're a very brave, courageous person. You're someone who's shone a light on this. As, as Anne said, it's something that even though we think we hear a lot about it, really we don't hear the ins and outs and how it actually affects people as much as we probably should uh, as a society to do something about it. So Emma, just remind our listeners your own story. So in 2015, I was in a really bad relationship, I suppose, with the father of my kids. Um, It was really, really toxic and I was in a really bad place. My mental health wasn't really good. And I posted a video to social media. Um, I posted the video because... I didn't want to ever go back. You know, we had broke up, gone back, gone back. And it was toxic on all in all forms of the relationship. And it was just unhealthy for the children and myself. So I posted the video and I had a black eye. And I spoke about how the relationship was and how it was affecting my mental health and name calling and, and, and obviously the physical abuse and the bruise on my eye. And within seconds, the video went viral. You know, over overnight, I think it was viewed over 10 million times. And that 
at the, at the time, I didn't realise what domestic violence was. I didn't ever even use, I don't even think I ever used that term, you know, until I posted that video and it went viral and I saw how much of an actual issue this was and so many people just flooded in sharing their stories with me. And it was almost, it sounds from what you're saying and from what I've read, that it was like, if I put this out there and not thinking it would be millions of people, clearly, but if I put this out there, I can't go back with him and therefore my kids will be safer, I will be safer and I won't be able to go do back. this ping pong thing that you'd been doing. That's it. I literally wanted to be happy and I knew I had to take control of myself and I was happy before. You know, just the toxic relationship withered us all down. So, yeah, I really did post that video to stop me from going back. And then in turn, you know, obviously it helped myself, it helped children, it helped so many other women and men experiencing domestic violence as well. So it was so worthwhile. And I've absolutely no regrets. It, it, in a weird way, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It's really interesting how these really awful, yeah. terrible times in our lives, we can look back sometimes and say absolutely. that. So I'm really interested in what you think about Bright Sky Ireland, because it's something that if it had been around, that you might have been able to access. And how would it, how would it have changed things for you, do you think? I suppose back then for me, I would have been able to go onto the app and ask, you know, answer the questions. There's surveys on there. There's questions. If I had have answered those, it would have told me, yes, you're in an abusive relationship. At the time, I didn't realise that. So it's given somebody the information, the tools, where instead you don't have to pick up a phone. You know what I mean? You can go onto, onto this app now and you can just look at the survey, answer the questions, because it's very daunting for a woman to pick up a phone and ring a service. And often we don't know of services that's around us, you know. So with that app, everything is there literally in the palm of your hand. So I do think it is going to actually help save women's lives because it's going to safeguard women and it's given them the tools and it's also going to give them the confidence to research what they're actually going through. Sometimes we need to see it in black and white to actually believe it. We don't listen to our friends. We don't listen to our family. But funny enough, we may listen to what's written in front of us. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have this this saying and, you know, there's an app for that and we do it. We use them for <laughs> grocery shopping, for Deliveroo, for getting, you know, takeaways, all sorts of things now for, for our fitness, for our health and well-being. I would never have thought that there could be an app to sort of help people and support people in this sort of a situation. But clearly, if it's been downloaded and and you're, the feedback you're getting is that it's working and in England, like you say, 20,000 downloads, it's being a real good resource for particularly women and also men, I suppose, who are in abusive relationships too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not just for women, it's for anybody who's experiencing domestic violence. Like, over the past couple of weeks since it was launched, I've been talking, I work in two women's refuges, so I'm constantly working with women and children experiencing and having to flee domestic violence but I've also said it to friends people have come to me and they've asked me questions you know I've got this friend she's in an abusive relationship what will I do straight away I'm saying well download the app you know and use the app and that's what I'm encouraging people to do is download it whether you're in an abusive relationship or not download it anyway it doesn't matter what age you are download it get the information and use it and especially the journal part of it that's crucial for women for just logging on. the kind of different incidents. Yeah, absolutely. Um, logging the incidents, you know, if something may happen, you can upload a voice recording. So if the perpetrator is being abusive physically, um, verbally, whatever it is, you can upload it and it's emailed to a safe place. You know what I mean? It's all sent to an email. And this is the thing to say, and I mean, you know, we're talking about coercive control and a lot of the times women are being controlled. You would think maybe that the perpetrator would be looking at the phone and examining on it. What if they see something that's about domestic violence on the phone? 
So the app is very discreet, which I think is important. Um, I think also to call out, it's not just violence, it's the course of control, it's stalking, it's sexual violence and consent, harassment. So there's other, you know, abuse uh, areas that people are not so clear on. Um, and this app has all the information for that as well that you're questioning, you know, is he too into me? As somebody said, you know, the controlling behaviour that can often start before the physical abuse. So I think it's important for people to know that and they mightn't be victims themselves, but the friends and the family are questioning why they're being isolated from their family, etc. So, you know, and along with this app, what we've launched as well, which I think is important for companies to think about, is our domestic abuse policy. So, um, and this is this duty of care as, employee, as employers, so that people, we're offering up to 10 days paid leave for employees of domestic abuse or violence, because they often need time off to get, you know, if they have children or something, to get their things in order. Often there can be financial uh, abuse so we can give them advance of salaries and they help them to set up uh, bank accounts which I think is important as well as well as access to professional counselling so that they're speaking to the right people because often we uh, as individuals don't know what to say um, also the app will help with how you listen how you deal with it and how you might guide them to the right place so I think there's a wealth of information there. We've also, Women's Aid are training our staff. I'm actually going on the training this month. I'm looking forward to it. It's a half day. And apparently um, we've had a net promoter score of 100 from the people that have on it. So the, the satisfaction with the training. Um, so the education around when people say something, what you do, and the myths that you might have uh, about perpetrators uh, of domestic abuse and domestic violence. And I think the other point to say is, yes, they say it's one in five women are affected and one in 17 men. So it is a men's issue as well. And this app is for men and women yeah. and all victims. And the training is all for uh, both victims and the policies that Vodafone has put in place is for both men and women. And we're very proud of that. And I really do encourage other corporates to do the same, to make sure that the issues that they have um that their employees are have or being addressed. Because as you said, over 50% of people said, I feel safer in work. But also the research said that two, and th two out of three can leave work because of abuse. So then they're even more isolated. So at least in work, you have colleagues and management and access to counselling and access to financial support that you won't get maybe if you're in an isolated, controlling uh, relationship. Emma, back to your work as a, a campaigner and also within the refuges, what feedback are you hearing? Have you had people saying they've used it or that they've seen it and it works? Or? Yeah, quite recently, just this week actually, I had um, a friend of mine call me and she was asking me for advice and straight away, you know, in relation to a friend that she, she was uh, dealing with and I said download the app and she rang me last night to say she did download the app and she just feels a little bit more secure in a, in a funny way. She feels like she's got the information. She's asked herself the question. She knows now what she needs to do. Like a woman may just need a little bit of clarification around what she's going through in order for her to maybe go into court and get a barren order or a protection order or follow the next steps. Another key feature that I really like about the app is that if a woman is in danger, you know, if she's in whatever part of Dublin or Ireland she's in, 
that goes to the location where the woman is at. So not only you're looking for the national services, if you're in Longford, it's going to bring you to the closest, it's going to give you the information of the closest services that's close to you. On Garda Siakana, the, the Garda station and so on and so forth. So it's really, really, it's really crucial that everybody just has this on their phone. And Emma, working in this area now, I mean, like you disclosing so bravely and it really changed things, I think, in this country. And it's changed your life because now your life is on a completely different trajectory. You are a campaigner, which is probably something you never thought. Never in a million years. I was always in school. <laughs> I was that girl that wouldn't answer questions, you know. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Uh, how do you see the culture in Ireland changing? I mean, I'm hoping there is some positive changes, even though I feel like for a long, long time, I feel even the word domestic violence is not is something that's it should be just violence against yeah, women or violence it, against men. It kind of I'm not really down with that phrase, mm. but I know it's important because it distinguishes stuff that happens in the home. But I think in this country for too long, we've kind of had this idea that what goes on behind closed doors is none of anyone's business. Do you see that changing that, you know, a violence, whether it happens at home or it happens on the street or wherever it happens, it is everybody's business. I think culture is changing very slowly. I think for me, I speak in some schools and I, I think that's where we really, really need to crack down is on the schools. You know, Anne spoke there earlier on about um, harassment and stuff like there's so much dating abuse that goes on and it starts from 12, 13, 14. You know, from the ages of when girls and boys get together, it's starting from then. You know, they're insecure. They're saying, what are you wearing? Your skirt is too short. Hanging up the phone on them. You know, sexting is another huge issue in Ireland. So, I think education in the schools is massive. We need to start from from the youth. I wonder, is there a youth version of this app that could be developed as well? Something to to, um, talk to young boys and girls about those issues that you just talked about, consent and abusive relationships, you know, at the early stages, because I suppose the issues for younger people would be maybe different, just people who are older adults. Yeah, I mean, we've launched a parental online uh, portal so this is about we were part of the World Anti-Bullying Forum with DCU because we're hearing about yeah. bullying and harassment online and parents, the research we see is that parents, I think it's nearly 50% are asking friends and family, you know, how do I deal with my teenage kids? How do I keep them safe online? We believe we have a role in that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're working on building that portal for parents so they realise when they're giving handsets to their kids and buying them and, pay, you know, what is safe and what 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 content are they looking at? How are they uh, communicating with friends, etc.? I think it's a growing area. We're going to work with government and the right agencies as well to play our role in that, to keep children safe online and for parents to really understand their role. Um, so but just on that, with, say, yeah, on that, Emma, thing. how old are your children now? Four and five. Right. So they were very, very young. Very young. Yeah. Like my son was 15 months and my daughter was six. But months. do you see yourself as they get older talking openly to them about these things earlier than you might have perhaps before? Yeah, I suppose they're surrounded by me all the time. They know the line of work I do. I know they're only babies, but, you know, they come to conferences with me. If I travel, they come to conferences. I want them to be around around that. I want them to be around influential women in this industry. Of course I do, especially for my son. You know, I want him to know how to respect a woman. You know, and also for my daughter, I want her to grow up to be resilient and strong and to have a voice. I think it's really important and I think it's really important for the younger generation in our country to have a voice in society because it's them that hold the key to any change. You know what I mean? The younger generation are going to be so powerful, but we need more education in the schools, I believe. Yeah, definitely. The schools is, is a key one. And I think in terms of our sex education, that's where it should be coming in because it's very outdated and it doesn't work for 
the modern lives that these young people are living. Um, just finally, everyone should download the app. Like you say, it's not just about your own experience. It's about friends or potentially helping others. Any other final message for listeners? I would just say um, often I find in the line of work that I do I, that I'm doing is, you know, friends and family sometimes can minimise a woman's abuse, which is wrong. And I think it's it's due to lack of knowledge. So I would encourage friends and family, boys, girls, men, women, teenagers to download this app and educate yourself on this issue. This isn't just an issue that's in Ireland. This is a worldwide mm. issue. This is a global issue and this is everybody's mm. issue. I have children. I hope one day I'm going to have grandkids you know, this is an issue that is going to affect every single person in Ireland, you know, and around the world. So it is important for us all to educate ourselves on this issue. I'm really struck by what you said earlier about the fact that you didn't even know what domestic violence was, even as you were experiencing it. So the empowerment that this information on your phone, easily accessed, can give a woman or a man, whoever's experienced it, it's huge because it's, it's, it's OK. It's one thing Googling something, you know, and you get down a big hole of information. But here's something dedicated to the very subject and immediately by doing a survey or asking a certain question you can immediately pinpoint what it is that you're experiencing and so again I presume you'd encourage everyone to, to download oh, well, it. I really would encourage them to download it and educate uh, themselves but I suppose as an employer I think we have a duty of care to our employees to highlight societal issues that are out there you know I would encourage those businesses to look at their domestic abuse uh, policies and support them. And I'd really like to thank Women's Aid and Angarda Siakona for their amazing work. And, and we'll continue through our Vodafone Foundation to support her and partner with them and connect for good and connect to build a better future and a better Ireland. Well, I think on this issue, Vodafone Ireland have been a leader and... Um Unfortunately, I feel like you, you mentioned bringing your whole self to work. Some companies don't want you to bring your whole self to work, even though in a way we have to, we all have to bring the stuff that's going on at home into the workplace and we have to deal with it. So there's no point in kind of putting your head in the sand about that. Employers shouldn't put their heads in the sand. And I think what you've done is really proactive and hopefully helping a lot of people and showing leadership to other companies about it's possible to do this and work can still happen and productivity doesn't have to go down. In fact, it may increase because you might lose less people and that kind of thing. So, Anne and Emma, thank you very much. Thank you. That's all we have time for. Thanks to my guests, Anne O'Leary, Emma Murphy and Danielle Roberts. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. You can listen to the podcast anywhere that you get them on all those different apps and you can go and give us some praise on iTunes if you feel like it at all helps. Um, that's it for me. This is the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle and I'll talk to you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 